Hello, and welcome to my Everyday Medieval Artifacts podcast, where every type of artifact is considered, and evaluated by me, the narrator. Today, we are considering a very sacred artifact used by many of town weight and bard, the Sham. Our story for today begins on the street of Canterbury, where a traveler has just walked through the main street, trying to find a good performance spot. All around him, the dreary townsfolk toil away at their daily jobs, but a few of these haggard peasants look up to see a finely dressed man with a small cylindrical case strapped in levers to his back. While the man tries to find a spot, children run past him around the crowded market. Then he sees his destined spot, a small outcrop on a currently unoccupied stage with enough room for two people to stand comfortably. So, as stealthily as he could, he conquered the task of climbing up onto the three-foot stage instead of easing the back stairs. Now, this spectacle of a man is getting some attention from the ever-working peasants. They stopped what they were doing, dropping many a pitchfork, and turning up to glance a brightly-dressed, soon-to-be performer among a crowd of the lower class who needed a very good excuse to get out of their day's work. A bard was one of them. Now for a quick commercial break. This podcast is brought to you by Futura, bringing future to your life. Right now, buy five supply pods and get 90% off your next Australop purchase. And if they reproduce too much, you can buy some Carnifons, now selling at a small price of $25,000 per Carnifon. Now back to the podcast. As we resume, the traveler, newly announced bard, reaches for the case on his back and proceeds to open his fancy lever wonder, from which he draws out his most important performance machine. It was a simple thing, really, a sham, which was a small tube made out of just one piece of hardwood. But it was much more than just a single piece of hardwood. Inside of the wooden wonder was a small metal tube that connected to a double reed at the top of the instrument, which created an airstream when he blew into it. This made a very shrill, piercing noise, much like that of a trumpet, except it was a more reedy sound than it was a brass sound. As the bard brought the entire 20-inch instrument out of the case, a few of the peasants started to cheer, for they knew that something great was about to ensue. Then, just as he put the instrument to his lips to make the desired song, another sound, much deeper, came through the alley nearby. This was, of course, a planned act, as another man, dressed the same as the first, walked out carrying a set of bagpipes. The peasants cheered louder. Then the sham player began his melody, drawing the peasants' attention back to him. It was simple, yet just, entertaining the crowd as much as any other bard would. The bagpiper, now playing a harmony, took a running leap at the stage, landing on the top in an erratic yet graceful way. Then the two each began their own melodies, sometimes intertwining them together. This, in fact was the most common way shamists, sham players, played the sham. Outside, with one or two accompanying instruments, playing melodies and counter-melodies. One of these men, the bagpiper, is a town wait, who is instrumentalist that stays inside and plays the music for one specific town. The other, the shamist, is a bard, or a traveling minstrel, who is basically a wait, but moves from town to town playing tunes on their instrument and telling stories to entertain their crowd. It might just be that weights and bards 
together with a first form of street or marching bands. Meanwhile, back in Canterbury, our hero, Mr. Bard, is almost done with his song. He gives one last cadenza with his short sham and finishes with the highest note a sham could play, a very short staccato little note. Then he lowers his sham and takes a huge bow. The bagpiper, wait, plays a last slow harmony and does the same. The peasants cheer so loud that it sounds as though a hundred sun lines were released on a single street, and then they roared as loud as they could. Flowers were even thrown from a particular woman who had been in the fields and had come back with a multicolored bounty of their own. Then as the bard hopped off the stage, he was thanked and patted on the back many a time. But he must make haste, for he has another performance tomorrow in a different town. Because that was a sad truth about bards and waits. The bigger the salary you wanted from the king, the more performances you would have to make. But this particular bard did not care, because he lived to see the cheer and wonderlust that crossed the faces of a, any crowd he performed to. Because that was enough to pay for him, making others happy, kept him happy. As he's, and as he started to stroll out of town, he looked back, smiled, and slowly faded into the distance as he walked. In the end, the sham was an amazing instrument all in all. Coming from Saudi Arabia in the 900s and then coming to Europe in the 1200s, it made performances on every Western European street in among any medieval town you could think of. But sadly, in the 17th century, the Bach oboe replaced the sham, making the sham therefore useless. The sham was forgotten for a long time. But thank God, many medieval instrument ensembles still use it. The sham's legacy lives on. Though the oboe is basically a modern-day sham, the sham will still always be slightly different from the oboe. Many sizes of the sham were made, ranging from 20 to 25 inches, all the way up to 3 meters long. No joke. And in the end, the sham was an amazing instrument. But when you think about it, technical, technological advances are always a great thing even if it does replace instruments you love. So, that's one thing to think about, isn't it? Thank you for listening to the Everyday Artifacts podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Again, thank you for listening. I am Jack Rousseau creator of Everyday Medieval Artifacts, and I will see you next time.